Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. David King, welcome back to the Means Test. You've been everywhere, G. It's great to see you. Great to be back and talking a bit of footy, and it's nearly upon us. We've been watching trainings and meaningless sessions here and there, and we've we've heard everyone from coaches to players to new captains and all the fans. We're all excited. We're all, we're all excited for it to get started on Thursday night with the a cracking opening again. We just were at the back, weren't we? We were half. It was like a therapy session with Sam Edmund at the back. He's, well, we'll get this job done this week, won't we? Won't we help me? Won't we? we will surely. Uh, so I'm, I'm wrapped. I'm excited that uh, it's upon us, Jared, and I'm, and I'm sure you are too. We've got all of our categories: the big issue, the pressure index, the preliminary final integrity, the debates. You've added uh, Australia here or there, so that's you're entitled to do that, I suppose. <laughs> and I hope you've prepared some seedings for us. But every means test. Starts with the King's Gambit. Here comes King's Gambit. He's exploding down the outside in this trial. He heads them off. And look at him gap this field late King's Gambit. Great trial. I think he's going to win the Golden Slipper. Going to win. I know someone who's on it anyway. So... Have you got any money on it yet? I don't. Where's the lack, the lack of support? I know. <laughs> I, we talked about this horse ages ago. I think his trial's been better than any of the warm-up races. Really? Well, you know more about it than me. That's ex- that's exciting. Yeah. I'm on a little $10. All right. That makes sense. We'll be midway through north and west coast when King's Gambit I'm doing those games. Yeah, so am I. That's a distraction. <laughs> I don't need. You. I'll text you. <laughs> the King's Gambit is surely the expectation that has built around this. So nobody's done more of the preparatory work than you, going out to the summer trainings and seeing how it's all come to be. It feels like... There's an impatience for it. I think there's an impatience for it in Clubland. I think there's a really clear view that we could have started a couple of weeks ago. I suspect in future we will. It feels like the coordinated weekend of practice matches is just a bit of a waste now. And when you put the jumpers on, you should be putting them on for real. So do you think that we will have no practice match? I think we'll have the match simulation. What's, What's the last one? The first one? The first one. Where you can play six quarters or eight quarters or however you want to set it up. Yep. I think we'll have that. And then I think rather than a coordinated round of preseason matches, we'll just hit it. I think that's where we'll head. Yeah, I've always been a believer that that I think the greater the mystery, the greater the start. Just just let teams uh, play amongst themselves. They're not allowed to cross over until round one and, and it's all systems go and everyone's flying blind. But what we we do say, I think there's been a lot of interest from the fans this preseason. So getting out to training, I have never seen so many people, at, at, uh, you know, absolute rusted on fans, no doubt. But even passers-by find themselves just wandering over and, you know, or, or putting their walk to 9.30 Monday morning instead of 7 o'clock in the morning. Just yep. to have a look at how the Ds are going. Just to have a look at how, what's Craig McRae doing this year, you know, and how healthy are the boys and all those sorts of things. So... Uh, I think you learn a lot going to going to preseason training. I think you give the coaches and, and the clubs the full respect that they deserve. Um, if you're going to talk about their jobs and their livelihoods, make sure you've done the research. And 
you know, sometimes we say things during the 2022 season that you've got to front up and, and have a chat about, Jared, whether it be positive or negative. And and I think the players appreciate the fact that you you're there to to actually give them um, a closer a closer look at who's flying and who's not. And it is amazing. I, I saw most sessions with Josh Gablitz from AFL.com and, and the clubs are so open at the moment. I think they've embraced um, the media for the first time in, that I can recall to, to let you in and give you different access and obviously spent a week at the Gold Coast Suns, uh, which was terrific. It was, you know, it was just a, a bit of an eye-opener. I mean, a lot of things are what you expect. Um, you know, game days, what you expect and the things they look at are, the, are similar things to what we look at. Um Numbers driven, but not uh, not necessarily spoken to the players. You know, talk a different language to the players, and, but they all they all use the same term. They use different terminology for the same purpose. Um, so what's one, one called one thing at, at Hawthorne will be the same thing at the at the Gold Coast, but under a different name. Um, but but in the end, I think every every club's trying to work out how they achieve the same the same goals, whether it be with the ball, without the ball, that clearance, you know, in the structural sense with their talent group. So I think that's often forgotten, is that there's no one way to play. There's no right way and a wrong way. It's what you've got on hand, your 44 guys that you've got in front of you. How can you get them to somehow match your philosophy? And and that's I think that's been a real challenge and part of the art of coaching, and that's why the best are so good. And so what we get in the opening round when all of that ties together um because of the atmosphere around it, the conclusions are going to be drawn, like the ramifications out of round one, I think are going to be huge, real or imagined. Um, and sometimes you can imagine these things into being real. It's one of 23. So I'm I'm so interested what the additional round does to the dynamic of the season, to the... the um, sort of the longevity the it's been able to sustain throughout. I think one game is significant. And if one becomes two in future, uh, how are you set for round one and what's going to play out before us? Yeah, it's a cracking fixture. They've, they've done an amazing job to get the, the year off to a flyer. Um, it is, it, it is, look, it's, it's incredibly difficult to argue that round 23 is important as round one or round two, because after eight rounds, we know that the top eight pretty much is settled. Um, after after eight weeks, that if you're outside of the eight, there's probably only one maximum two changes, and it's not going to come. You know, one through five is generally pretty set, and you know, everyone will come back at me and say, "Well, Carlton were eight and three. I, I get that. There's one. There's they come from a long way back, and there was a first year under Michael Voss. There was still a few things going on. They were bludgeoning teams last year. So, I think. I think pressure builds so quickly these days. E- externally, you know, we, we build the pressure. I mean, you wouldn't want to be Port Adelaide starting zero two. You just wouldn't want to be. And then, what what that does in terms of the group losing faith in the direction and the absolute buy in, it, it drops from once it drops from one hundred percent to something else, you are gone. So, I, I'm a massive believer in getting off to a great start. Now, I don't think the very best teams. Um, are too fixated with being 10-0, 8-0. They're pretty much trying to run 50-50 or marginally better. And then the back half of the year separates the absolute contenders from those that have made gains, but not necessarily are absolutely right there to win it. So you see, you know, historically we see that the premiership winner 
go on a run of you know, 12 wins in a row or 10 plus. I think, I think Geelong were like 16, 16. or yeah. So they go on a run that, okay, everything's in order. We've got our personnel in tune. And they maybe don't start the year as absolutely you know, ripping 100% fit for the group. They don't run the risk of losing players from the group to be 100% fit. They'd rather have a higher level of availability and build as the, as the year progresses. You know, I think um, Richmond have done that for years. They've they've just maybe not been absolutely one hundred percent ripping them apart on on a knife's edge, you know, session after session, and had them probably ninety percent fit, but had ninety five percent availability, you know, barring a few accidents and a few surgeries uh, through the off season. So everyone's trying to do the same thing, but do it in a different way. And our job is to try and work out what's working and what's not in, in real time, which which can be which can be difficult, and and it, in the end it involves a bit of guesswork and a bit of your own philosophy. So whether we get it right or wrong, Jared, who knows? But round one is very important because if you lose, round two becomes a must. Yeah, it's oh, – I can't wait to get into it. I can't wait for Thursday night. All right, so let's do – why don't we do best bits because you're intrigued by point of difference across some of these teams. Yeah, it's something we talked about a couple of years ago, really. If, you've, if there's nothing different about the way you're playing, if you're playing – the same brand or someone else's brand. This is an old discussion. You'll never catch up to someone playing their game. So everyone's talking about, you know, GWS are going to play the way Richmond play. Well, if they do that, they'll never beat Richmond because it'll take them four years to get the whole thing rusted on and the game will change by then. Things will evolve and, and there'll be a new mode or a new method or a new a little bit of tinkering from the other coaches that'll, that'll strip that method down. Um, so... I think there's a freshness in approach for a few teams and, and there's there's asset pools that are, that are different and that, that's the fascination for me. And I think the one that jumps off the page and everyone's talking about, you know, is Bevo's big boys. Can, can four talls work? Now, I, I think this is coming in at the perfect time for the tactical sub. So they can go big. And if it's not working, start of the third quarter or halfway through the third, say, right, okay, this is not working. Uh, which of the four or five is, is not performing today? Sub him out. Let's get the runner on. So this is this is absolutely, you know, I think, uh, great timing for the Western Bulldogs and Luke Beveridge because there's no risk to it. You go with your strength and if it works, you know what? You separate the game because the other team are unlikely to have great matchups for all those tools. But everyone says, oh, but, you know, if you don't mark it, it hits the deck and it's gone, which which is true. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a there's evidence to say that's the case, but if it does work, they will win games in the first 45 minutes. If it's not working, they've got their work to do in the second half um, to, to get their run up and going. But uh, no, no one will work as hard in football as the other two smalls in that dog's forward 50. They will just be chasing and chasing and chasing because the bigs will drop yes. off. But uh, I think the timing for Luke Beveridge is absolutely perfect given the uh, the tactical sub. Yep, yep. The point of difference that the Bulldogs are going to bring to the season and early best bit. That we've got uh, thoughts pouring through around PFI, so preliminary final integrity. The grand final smash and expose the Swans' lack of big body mids with Josh Kennedy no longer on their list. Who are their bigger bodied midfielders that can match it with Geelong or Melbourne's bigger bodies? Uh, I'm not saying that Melbourne will go through the season undefeated. But they won't be beaten. <laughs> That's from you. <laughs> Good material to get us started. 
<laughs> I like that. Who was that one? Um, where did that come from? Uh, Hugh. Yeah, well done, <laughs> That's Hugh. good, Hugh. Uh, and Tanasi, depends on the skew of the draw. Round one may not matter at all. Not sure what league you follow. Is This is the beauty of the draw. They're weight divisions. They're, they are rounded up into weight divisions. Every Outside of the Suns and the Swans, who I suspect aren't in the same weight division, is those four points become separators against the like for like. Well, the Suns have got a pretty good record against the Swans. They do. Yeah. So that's that's I just an... think in the quadrant of the ladder oh, they're yeah. not in the they're not in the weight division together necessarily. Yeah. But well, that's not to say that I'm not saying they can't win. So if you had to choose a team that you wanted to play this week, so let me flip the conversation the other way. It's because it's not it's not who you play, it's when you play them. Yes. Right, so look at look at the, the the trough that St Kilda are in with just player availability right now. If you could choose one team to play this week, you're probably choosing St Kilda, and that's that's not um, that's no slight on them as a club or anything like that or where they're at. But you, you want to play, be able to play teams when they're close to rock bottom with yeah. their talent pool, and that, that's where the Saints are right now, isn't it? So Fremantle have got a massive opportunity to 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 grab that four points and get rolling and and set the season away. Whereas if you're playing, say. Who's at absolute peak fitness? You, you've probably got a, a, a Brisbane. Or a, yeah, Brisbane and Melbourne look like they're flying into the season. So it's a, it's a rough start for Port Adelaide, isn't it? Like if Port, if, if you could have your choice, say, okay, you've finished 18th on the ladder, who would you like to play round one? Yep. So th- this is the, just the luck of the draw. Um, but you do feel for the, the St Kilda selectors this week that have probably got 29 players to choose from. And, and 10 of those would be first, second year. Mm. I'm very pleased to say, Kingy, that we have a sponsor throughout the year for the means Joking. test. Jamison Irish Whiskey. Oh, now hang on. Did you organise this? I like this. Yeah. I knew you have would. Have they sent any little products in? Just well, it's, it's uh, every. I wonder if we should finish every means test with a little toast. <laughs> Jared, to get myself in here, I have to have one or two just to... <laughs> <laughs> Win a Jamison Sharon match ball through your local bottle shop today. So Jamison Irish Whiskey bringing you the means test throughout season 2023. Test cricket, hey? Yesterday, another thrilling climax in New Zealand where it really did look like the third time test history was materialising before us. A whisker in it for New Zealand as they won again. While at Ahmedabad's, they could still be playing when Richmond and Carlton start on Thursday night. And I don't know, don't know whether we'd be closer to a result. So the people who should feel most comfortable in their opinions of cricket right now are those who put forward that they would much prefer watching those two and a bit day test matches where every ball was an event than a draw on a road where really the circumstances just didn't allow for a contest. You should be on good terms with yourselves and you should be lining up behind the the dark lord of the of the dodgy decks, Robert Craddock. You should be standing at his shoulder. Now the series is over. Australia lost 2-1. There are there are substantial gains. Travis said at the top of the order, Cameron Green's development Australia has identified and and brought forward the the spinners in the ranks which for a long time were sort of said to be not much behind Nathan Lyon. There's plenty there and they've had some great experience. Australia was half-cocked and undercooked in Nagpur and there are lessons in that for the whole setup, not just for the team, but for the administration of Cricket Australia. They lost on their knees in Delhi. That's going to be the 
the source of long-term lament for a generation of players who don't get back there. At Indoor, they were brilliant. They showed their worth. They showed their character and they showed their skill. And then they went the distance in Ahmedabad. And many a team hasn't been able to go to the distance with India in those sorts of conditions. I suspect they'll be a little unfulfilled by it. This was a well-equipped team to go. Not much went right for a long period of time. And they fall to a familiar fate, 2-1 down to India. That's the scoreline from the past four series now that the two teams have played. So in that, I imagine, is a certain truth. Here's the stand-in captain, Steve Smith, with Bharat Sundaresan on the issues of that fourth test, but a little more broadly reflecting on the series. From our point of view, we sort of see Delhi as a missed opportunity. Um, you know, I've said it a few times now, that, that sort of hour of madness where we lost a heap of wickets um, was a big turning point, I suppose, in the series. And, um, you know, if we were able to navigate our way through that hour, things could have potentially been a lot different. But, um, you know, credit to India. I, I think they played some, some really good cricket. They've got a, a wonderful side filled, filled with... Um, you know, plenty of superstars. So, um, you know, it was a really good series to be a part of and you know, I suppose 2-1 probably reflects that in the end. You missed, missed a chance in Delhi, but we did come back really strongly and won that match, which doesn't happen very often, winning a test match in India. Of course, I, I think the way we were able to, to come back in indoor was a, a huge positive for this group. Um, we were obviously pretty shattered after Delhi and um, that break came at a good time for us, I think. Um, a couple of days to reflect, a couple of days to rest and then get back into our preparation. And I think the way we came out and played in indoor after losing the toss, um, you know, it was outstanding and it just shows the um, the attitude this group's got to continue to improve and get better and I believe we did that as the series went on um, so yeah plenty of positives to take out of the series. World Test Championship final next same teams uh, different conditions how different is it the challenge going to be uh, against probably a different Indian bowling attack I, I don't see them play three spinners there uh, but you know similar team. Yeah I mean I think it's, it's going to be so exciting um, you know, we, I think the World Test Championship is such a great thing. Um, you know, every game has relevance over a couple of years and, um, you know, it came down to today, uh, the, the New Zealand-Sri Lanka game, when New Zealand just got over the line. We, we saw the, the Indian players come out on the field after lunch, I think it was, and um, and just shake hands in, in, you know, congratulating each other on, on making the finals. So... You know, it's going to be a, a great game and you're an unbelievable opposition no matter where they play. Um, you know, they've obviously beaten us the last couple of times coming to Australia. So, you know, the Oval um, is probably as close to Australian conditions as you get in, in terms of pace and bounce for English conditions. So, you know, I think it should be a really good contest and um, we're all looking forward to it. Steve Smith at the conclusion of the series last night with Barat Sundarison. The Dark Lord of Dodgy Decks, Robert Craddock, is on duty. It's perfect that we would meet on a Tuesday in the aftermath of the series. Hello, Crash. Hello, Crash. <laughs> Hello Jared. The Dark Lord of Dodgy Decks. I'll take that one. <laughs> That's one for the pool room, I have to say. But, look, I, I, I do uh, reinforce what we have been saying in that where's Chris Broad, the match referee, after the last test in indoor, within hours of it, he broke tradition by condemning the deck and 
you know, saying what a, you know, shameful, uh, you know, uh, biased deck it was towards spin bowlers. And yet it was a, an absolutely compelling, absorbing test match. And people watching in offices in both countries, Australia chased down 70. This time, this Borathon, I mean, these are the decks that kill cricket. They, they really, truly are. As you said, this test literally would have gone for eight days. And th- that's what test cricket has to be aware of. We, we, we have our fun with dodgy decks, don't we? We yep. play them up and we you know, put a bit of theatre and drama about it. But, but the message is clear. Dodgy decks do not kill test cricket. Flat decks do. End of story. And, and that's why I'm waiting for, for Chris Broad, match referee, to say... To, to, to condemn this deck the, in the opposite direction as he condemned the other one. It's rare, isn't it? I mean, I think we'd be surprised if that happened. Is It feels like cricket sort of has a tacit nod to most of these pitches, only every now and then, like the godforsaken pitch at the MCG for that Ashes Boxing Day test, uh, of which so much was done in the aftermath to rectify it. it I don't know, cricket sort of almost... It doesn't quite um, – it's almost benign neglect on a pitch like that. Just, oh, well, as the batters made runs and that's okay. It wasn't. It, we knew, I reckon, objectively from lunch on day two that that was going to be a draw. Yeah, we did. And I think it goes back 100 years, Jared, to cricket was a game controlled by batsmen. The laws are for batsmen. And, you know, as recently as a few years ago, everyone said a good deck was a good batting deck, you know, and people asked why. Tiger O'Reilly, uh, the famous Australian leg spinner, when of the old edict that the the uh, if in doubt, a decision should always go in favour of the batsman. Tiger O'Reilly, you say, why? Who said that? Why can't the bowlers even get one in four? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I still think to a certain extent that, uh, you know, that thinking does exist. And, and that saddens me a bit because... Gideon Hay wrote a great column in The Australian Today saying that the Indian Cricket Board is obsessed about control. It had to order the roll, goal, pancake, flat wicket for this test. But I do feel Australia can leave with their heads in the air, Jared. They really can because very, very few touring teams finish a series in India, never mind a four-test series, in better shape than when they started. They won the last two tests 1-0 and they were extremely difficult decks, uh, different decks. One was the spinner's paradise and they outbowled India and two was the batsman's paradise and they matched strides with India. It's not easy to do. So a dignified but yet titillatingly frustrating performance because Australia could have won this series. Yes. How much lament do you think will rest in this? They they left these shores as the best equipped in a long time. Not much went right by their own hand and and by circumstances through the first half of it. Uh, And to hear even Steve Smith, just the hour of madness in Delhi, is my view at the time was that will haunt Australian cricket for a while. I'm sure that will haunt this team uh, when they think back on their their days in the subcontinent. Yeah, look, if you you had a little uh, bullet point paper of things we could learn from, You've got to get there a bit earlier than we do. I mean, for all the players' experience in the IPL, you just can't turn up after playing a test series in Australia and think that you're ready to play on raging turners in India. You know, this year is the 30th anniversary of, of the first uh, tour of England that I, I covered in 1993, and we were there six and a half weeks before yes. the first test. <laughs> now, that's too long. We get it. Uh, modern touring does not... Uh, cater for that sort of thing. But I tell you what, you were nice and settled by the first test, whereas Australia just wasn't. 
Uh, so they got to be better prepared. And they did some nice things. They sent Kuhneman and Murphy to India last year specifically to prepare them for the possibility of playing in this series. And those kids, I thought, were terrific. I thought one of them had to really tire, Jared, in the four tests, but they didn't. And uh, that was good. Uh, they got it wrong, leaving Travis head out of the first test on choosing Ashton Agar for the series. There was nothing, nothing in his Sheffield Shield form to suggest that he would do a better job than Matthew Kuhneman. There was nothing. And, and that, uh, so that was a mistake as well. All right, so let's go through the gains and just explore that a little bit further. Is that the three great gains are one, Australia has its next generation of spinners revealed and with good experience. Two was Cameron Green, who in three test matches has taken his first five for and made his breakthrough test century. And three is Travis Head at the top of the order, which has got immense possibility. So the first initially is for a while, Nathan Lyon, that, that question that so often surrounds cricket selection. Well, who else is there? Well, now mm. we know. And it, it, it brought the best out of line, I think, to have, to have two challenging spinners on his shoulder and also under his wing. It did. And look, I know a lot of people in Melbourne uh, who know Todd Murphy well are listening to your show, and I just think you can be so proud of that lad. He went there on the back of a handful of first-class games. Uh, I hadn't seen a lot of him, but I heard all the raps that he's mature, that he's fit and strong and focused. And, and, and he really held his line and his length throughout the four tests and always looked up for the contest too. The joy for him now is he will be chosen as the second spinner behind Nathan Lyon to England for an Ashes tour. Now, that is quite rare. We don't normally like choosing two off spinners, but they won't play together in a test in England if Lyon is injured and he's played, what, nearly 100 tests in yes, a row. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, Murphy would come in. So that's joy for him. Kuhneman was chosen and uh, he was a reputation, a great team man, and a guy who can put a ball under length. And he did that. I felt out of the two of them, just in the last test, he was wavering a little bit. But a nice touch when he came out as night watchman in the last test because, gee, Matt will fly home and have no idea when his next test would be, Jared. because we've been to Sri Lanka recently. We've been to Pakistan recently. We've just played India. He's number three in the pecking order, and it's a very solid pecking order. So... But he's got there. Uh, Queensland now has challenges. Do they pick Swepson ahead of Kuhneman when they're picking a Sheffield Shield team? So, uh, but it did show. Ravi Shastri has been saying on over and over that uh, Kuhneman should have played in the first test. But uh, if it had played ahead of Murphy, Murphy was the discovery of the first yes. test. So it's not as simple as what it seems. But but a gold star to both those lads for their temperament. Uh, their buoyancy and the fact that they just kept keeping on. So Australian cricket hasn't made all the right decisions right through, but I feel like everybody involved, and this runs from the administrator through selectors, through coaches and captains, and even fans should take a pat on the back for the apprenticeship served by Cameron Green. It's so rare in elite sport to see an apprenticeship embarked on in such a way, and it's... uh, I'm not sure I can think of the most recent one in Test cricket. That's why I'm in your hands. But he played probably a whisker ahead of time. And each series, he has materially improved. And now here we are in his last three tests where he's taken his first Fifer and bowled Australia to victory. And then Mm. he's made 
his test century in India, no less. Mm. And he has... So great batters have one shot that comes to define them. His straight driving is something mm. to behold. Yep, yep, yep. Look, uh, it started with Greg Chappell. Uh, when he was about uh, 17, Greg Chappell saw him. And uh, Greg Chappell, uh, you may remember, was a guy, he's just got this ability well, 10 years ago. No, it was when Steve Smith was about 18, he said, I've seen the future, and it's Steve Smith. When David Warner was a T20 player, he said, this guy could play 100 tests. Uh, and, and when Ian Healy had played three first-class games, he said this guy could, ha- could play for Australia for 10 years. And he said Cameron Green is our next batting superstar. And, and that was got through to the selectors. Greg Wozner selected then, and so they pitched him in. The best thing that ever happened to Cameron Green was he did not score a century in his first three or four tests. It took a while to get there. So he was allowed to grow sort of organically and, and just slowly. It was quite beautiful, really. Remember that his first season, he couldn't take a wicket? Yep. He didn't take a wicket? That was lovely because he just – all the test players would say, geez, a quiet kid, spends a lot of time in his room. I believe he's a future Australian captain for a couple of reasons. One, he's calm, and that's one of the greatest qualities you can have. Uh, and people say that he's quiet, but you know, Jared, I remember these when they were young kids. Steve Wall was the quietest kid you've ever seen. Steve Smith was the daggy kid with the funny haircut who couldn't get a date to the border medal. Remember that, and was no one's idea of a captain. Ricky Ponning was the little scallywag who'd sit in the corner of the bar with the angular grin and always seemed to be up to something. You think, oh, punter couldn't be a captain. I mean, like, come on. And, and, and they all get there eventually. He's mature then. He's further advanced than all of them at this stage. And that's why I'm really hoping they put him in the leadership group. Put him in right now around Smith and Cummins and Warner and all these guys so that he's got a chance just to listen to what makes a leader, you know? But he, he's got a sense of maturity about him. When he came in at 17, um, you know, Justin Langer rang up his parents and said, can he have a beer in the dressing room? And uh, they said, oh, we'd rather he didn't yes. till he was 18. And he didn't. He didn't. like, And that in itself, it's a small thing, but it's a big thing because he's sort of his own man a bit. And uh, But he's a very talented player. And I was fascinated to hear Ravi Chandra and Ashwin, who's a great cricket Oh, talker. He loves the game. He used to, as a 17-year-old, Ravi Ravi Ashwin used to write columns as a young (laughs) schoolboy for for Wisden. And he loves assessing players. And he said, this Cameron Green's a a once-in-a-generation player. And I just thought, beautiful rap in the middle of a series. And the third element is Travis Head could very well be the long-term opener for Australia. Uh, he's so certainly in those conditions he's incredibly well suited there he absolutely could be that in Australia and the big decision which we debated last week is how to best deploy that weapon in the ashes oh (laughs) do you know what Jared it's such a tricky one does Travis head open in the ashes that even if you were delivering that lovely little monologue there I felt myself flipping from one yes. side to the other. I was thinking because I, I do defer to Michael Vaughan's statement that the Duke's ball after 30 overs does nothing in England now and you can really get amongst it. Like you you can – and the thought of a number – Travis Head batting at number five just just carving up a, 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 a – you know, Anderson and Broad, uh, if, you, if they can keep him in the field a little bit, as brilliant as they are – 
maybe when the ball stops swinging, Head can be our counterpunch and scoring 75 off 90 just when England think they're on top. So I'm not sold on him opening in the Ashes yet. I haven't written off David Warner, but my problem is, Jared, who else? For, for the second Ashes season in succession, uh, Tour of England, they decided a few months ago that they really wanted Matt Renshaw to go. He was born in England, Northern England. He played with Joe Root as he was a kid. He, he loves England. He's played, excelled at county cricket there. But he sort of just hasn't slapped it on the table. I think he will go Renshaw. Uh, and you, you must remember this. If they go with Renshaw and Kawaja to opening, you're going with two guys who are the closest mates. Like you're thinking, oh, that's the great thing about Kawaja and Warner. But Kawaja mentors Renshaw. If you're looking for one of them in the off-season, ring the other one and ask where they are. You know, they're really good mates. I think if it's not Warner, Kawaja would love to open with Renshaw. Yes, yes. The one thing, I feel like Head will open in the first test at Mm. home in Perth uh, in whatever it is, December. So I don't know what role that plays along the way. I'm with I'm with you. I think he probably is the best weapon at five in the Ashes. Mm. But gosh, he looks so natural there. Anyway, so three yep. huge gains from this series, I think. Oh yeah. Well, well, the head thing's interesting, and the d- definitive quote on head came from Alex Carey, his great mate, two years ago, when he said, "Look." I've watched Travis for years and you've just got to stick with him and you will be rewarded. You'll get times when he fails for 16 and plays a shot. You think, Travis, how could you? And the next time he makes 120. But, Jared, there was little spot fires statistics we never quite got along onto in this series in our discussions. I mean, here's one. Uh, Mohamed Shami took twice as many wickets, basically, as the Australian pace attack combined. He took nine. They took about five between them. Gee, it makes a difference. I mean, it, it's no one talks about it, no one notices it. But next time we're going to India, make sure that our fast bowlers have got it. We all talk about our spinners. We're obsessed about them in India, and I love talking about them. But they're quicks. They, 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 that's why they get their edge. Every time a touring team goes to England, uh, India, they think spin and get out bowled by their quicks as well. The capacity to rip the off stump out of the ground, which is the, the, one of the great charms of cricket there is the way the stumps fly. But... You yeah. feel like don't get out to the spinners, don't. And so they almost feel like bonus wickets when the quicks take them. Except that, and keep in mind that Boomer, their frontline quick, was not there. It is Shammy just did that for them at critical moments in the in the collapse in indoor and in the uh, first innings in Delhi? Is he, he did he played a much bigger role than our quicks did? He's a bit of a cult hero too amongst fast bowlers, in the same way that Vernon Philander was for South Africa, like. Mohamed Shami doesn't look the greatest athlete. You see him from side on and it's a little bit, you know, if you saw him in a district game, you'd say, oh, he's a nice hardy performer, isn't he? But guess what? He gets it through at about over 140 kilometres an hour, can swing it both ways, and he's the guy that all their fast bowlers want to talk to for advice. So he's one of the most – I always feel that Ravi Jadej is the most underrated cricketer in the world, but Mohamed Shami – Played test cricket for 10 years, if you don't mind, as a quick in India. He's a very underrated player.